the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is an experience that I think any of us that have gone through would agree can be fearful and intimidating. It is upsetting. It is often, in particular, a blow to one's sense of self-worth and your your self-image as you have been told well, business is not so good, we're having to lay you off, we're making some changes, you know, all of those downsizing, upsizing, right-sizing stories that they give you, the bottom line is you find yourself unemployed. Now, normally, historically, the response has been, update the resume, contact maybe an employment agency, these days go to monster.com, go to Craigslist, look at some names and locations, start sending out resumes, and you say, but Craig, I have done that. I've sent out dozens, scratch that, hundreds of resumes. Nothing seems to be happening. I can't get a call back. You know, if you go to Google and simply type in job posting, it returns 114, not thousands, 114 million page hits. So if you think to yourself, how do I get head and shoulders above the rest of the crowd? Are all of the real jobs that are out there necessarily posted on Craigslist? And when you hear these stories of, for example, one South Bay firm that recently had 20 positions open and there were 3,000 applicants... How do you get yourself head and shoulders above the crowd? Well, we've invited Dr. David Petrovay to join us back in studio tonight to help us learn how exactly to do that through the power of networking. And Dr. David, great to have you back with us again. I guess it comes back down to the old adage, it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know that gets you hired. And, you know, the thing about it, Craig, is that that is actually not a new concept. We began the process of networking when man first showed up on the planet. When you think about how cavemen networked, they met with one another and they pointed out where the food sources were. Where could you get shelter for the night? This is all networking is about. So these, these days we hear the term and folks get intimidated, especially if you've been out of the, the, it's like having been married for years and then suddenly you're single again. How do I date? I, I know that I'm capable of doing it, but I've just forgotten how. We hear networking and we think this is some kind of new technology that's out there that's got something to do with Facebook, the Internet. I'm right. not quite sure how to do this, but what, when we talk about networking, what you're saying is we're really just talking about relationships. That's all networking is, is building relationships. We've been doing it all of our lives. Think about early on when we met people. Okay, How did we build a relationship with them? How did that evolve? When you first met that person, was the initial thought that you had, what can this person do to advance me personally? Probably not. It was more about... Asking yourself, is this a person I enjoy spending time with? That's what networking is about, is finding those individuals that you enjoy spending time with so that you can be a mutual support to one another. 
When we talk about networking, Dr. David, in terms of what that network looks like, uh, typically when we're engaged in trying to find new employment, we immediately think about colleagues from that mm-hmm. industry, the business we used to work at. But that network is actually much broader than that, isn't it? Well, we actually have two network systems, Craig. We have what we call our hard network and our soft network. Our hard network, these are the people that we typically think of when they are a part of the industry that we've been involved in. The softer contacts are people that they know. People say, well, I don't really know anyone. That seems to be a common complaint. Well, the question is, unless you're a hermit, you probably get your hair cut, you take your car to be repaired, you take your children to school. All of the people that you make connections with during the day are part of that networking system. And is that even true if it's perhaps somebody that is in a trade that is differing than our position? For example, if I am a house painter and I'm looking for a job painting houses, um, my barber might not have a house that he needs painted, but could my barber have a brother or a friend down the street that needs a house painted? Absolutely. That's the way it works. So we really need to expand then how we think about network, what that means, and perhaps get away from the sense of being intimidated by the term and realize we're just talking about people connections, which we all have. Right. And when I look at networking, there are three aspects that I consider. First of all, it's connecting. And that's the question, who are you? And the way that you find that out is to spend time with that person, learning about who they are. The next one is trust. And that's, how do I know that you'll do what you say you do? That's critical. And finally, integrity. Do you walk your talk? Those are, again, the key elements of what it takes to build a relationship in networking. For a lot of folks that are job seekers, and we should explain to listeners that you have a master's degree in counseling and guidance, a doctorate in education, with a specific focus on career development. Yes. That we're really taking us beyond the idea of printing resumes and sending them out. Any idea from your expertise, Dr. David, how often, what percentage of the time does that actually work? Well, when they've done studies on something like this, Craig, they find out that that's the source of about 5 to 10% of hires. Wow. 5 to 10% of hires comes through what we think is the traditional go-find-a-job-by-sending-out-resume process. Right. And remember, a resume is simply a calling card. So what you're doing is you're distributing your calling card to as many people as possible with the hope that it will get someone's attention Mm. and they will contact you and hopefully bring you in for an interview. This is nothing different than placing flyers on a windshield in the parking lot then at the supermarket. And your chances are probably just as good good. (laughs) doing it that way. And at least you've targeted a demographic area. Exactly. So do we have to rethink this then in the sense that hiring authorities, because this is all relationally based, are what? Looking to do business or looking to hire individuals that they know or that they have been referred to. That personal connection then really goes a long way. And it sounds like from what you're suggesting, when you say that 
90% of the jobs that are out there to maybe 95% comes through the relationship portal as opposed to the responding to one ads portal, that this really then is entirely a, a relationship skills-based experience. Exactly. So what you want to do is, as in real estate, where it's location, 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 it's about visibility, 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 getting yourself out there, talking to people, letting them get to know you and what you have to offer in the workplace. You work in private practice. You counsel people all the time yes. who are looking for maybe a career makeover, maybe the industry that they are in has changed dramatically that the employment opportunities just simply aren't there anymore. Maybe they've reached the point in life where they say, I've done what I had to do. Now it's time for me to do what I want to do. And so they're looking for a change in that arena. Um, is it early then in your process in working with individual clients to talk about their relationship skills or their people skills then? Oh, exactly. I think one of the things that we look at is the person's ability to communicate. Those are some of the areas in which people may need to be coached. How they sell themselves. How they sell themselves. And it is about a sales approach. Who are you selling? You're selling yourself and your skill sets. We're going to pause on that point. If you've just tuned into the conversation, Dr. David Petrove is with us tonight in the studio. He is, of course, the owner of David Petrove Associates, a master's degree in counseling and guidance, a doctorate in education with a focus on helping people develop their careers and moving and propelling your life forward. Many, perhaps, eavesdropping on the conversation tonight are either in a dead-end job. Yeah, they develop and send you a paycheck every couple of weeks, but you're really not satisfied. You'd like to make a change, but you're afraid. You're just not sure how. There's another percentage of those listening tonight that have been out of job for quite a while. You've been fearful. This has been a tremendous blow to your self-image. You've tried to seek employment. You've done everything that you know to do. Nothing seems to be working. In both, both scenarios, it's about reevaluating who you are and then learning how to network, how to engage the power of the relationship to find that dream career or at the very least get back into the working world. How do you learn to harness the power of the network that you already have and how can you do a better job at selling yourself? We'll talk about that dynamic as our conversation with Dr. David Petrove continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. On today's edition of Lifeline, some tips on how to get yourself gainfully employed once again. This is a big and frustrating process for a lot of folks. As Dr. David Petrofe, an expert in this arena, pointed out just before the break, uh, you mentioned the fact that between 90 and 95 percent of the jobs that are out there are not coming through the traditional Find a job posting, send in a resume, wait for the call, go in for the interview. That happens, but that happens very seldomly. And I would suspect that also suggests that a good percentage of job opportunities that are out there are never posted. So what we refer to as the hidden job market. People will say, they'll ask if someone's hiring a specific company. They may not be hiring that day, Craig, but tomorrow someone may quit. Someone may move to another part of the country. Someone may retire. There are always openings occurring within companies. Who knows about them first? 
the people within those companies. And quite frequently, a lot of trades don't want to always publicize this because they might be looking to replace existing employees. It's a bit awkward if you read about your job being posted. Isn't it true? (laughs) Pick up the paper tomorrow and find out they're looking. The radio station in San Francisco is looking for a talk show host. (laughs) I said, wait a minute. Isn't that my job? (laughs) Right. So learning how to discover then the power of the relationship is really key. Um, And we touched on this briefly, um, the idea of selling yourself. Now, Mm -hmm. the big question comes down to that there are some folks that don't necessarily have the skill set for this. So when we talk about selling ourselves, is it the hard sell approach or the soft sell approach? And is there circumstances where one is better than the other? In other words, if I meet you maybe at a fraternal organization that we belong together, we've seen each other from across the room but never spoken, and I happen to know that you're a hiring authority for a firm that I'd like to work up work for, do I walk up and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, here's my business card, here's my resume, what can you do for me? What's the best approach? Well, I think there are several ways that you can approach it. First of all, if you go back to the three key points of connecting trust and integrity, does that occur when you are simply handing someone a business card? It's what I refer to as the hit and run. Here's my card, uh, and this is what I'm looking for, call me. And they're that person's goal is to distribute as many cards as possible. You know, who was that masked man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're back to the, the flyers on the windows right. of the cars in the parking right. lot. So what you want to do is to, again, build relationships with people. We know that people are more likely to look at you as a serious contender for a job when you are someone that becomes a known entity. That occurs over time. And so when you network, there are a couple of things to think about. One of them is if you look at networking as a what-can-you-do-for-me event, there's going to be a problem there. Okay, that, People are feeling taken advantage of. They're taking, they feel like they're I'm being used. That's a word I, I commonly hear is when someone does that, the person at the receiving end feels used. They're now put on the spot because you're asking them to deliver on something that they really know very little about in terms of what role you're going to play if you're seriously considered for the job. I always tell people that when they go into an interview, that I'll ask them, so who do you think is at the greatest disadvantage, you or the person interviewing you? Well, they always say, what's me? And I said, actually, you have less to lose than the person sitting across from you. If they make a mistake in hiring, it can take hours and hours, days, money to undo that choice. So when you walk away and you're not hired, you're basically leaving with what you came with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whereas with that other person, they're wondering... Am I doing the right thing here in hiring this person? Well, that really takes us back full circle then to underscoring the importance of the trust and the integrity issue. Yes. So when people begin to know who you are, that's less likely to be a problem. I have two people that I've recently, well, one of them actually was within the last few months. We met a network, at a networking event and just started talking about being there. And in doing so, we began to find out what we had in common. We were both the same age, and we were both from Pennsylvania. That became the core of our discussion. 
that evening. And we both left with a commitment that we would get back to each other and see where this might take us. Well, at this point, every Tuesday morning, we get together for coffee and we discuss what's going on in our professional life. We both happen to be coaches, but we coach different areas. So we talk about how we can support. We talk about how we can refer. We talk about joint ventures that we can go on together. Uh, he has become what we refer to as a thought partner. Mm. Okay, He's a person that we I can bounce ideas off of him. He can bounce ideas off of me. But this really began with a sense of common ground then. Right. As opposed to, as you were suggesting a moment ago, the uncomfortableness of the what-can-you-do-for-me scenario where that relationship tends to be tremendously one-sided. I'm unemployed, you are an employer, I want you to give me a job, and so at least initially it feels very much all about what you can do for Mm -hmm. me, and yet from the other person's perspective, we're never stopping to say, wait a minute, this is what I can do for you, what are you going to do for me? Right. Where's that sense of commonality or give and take? So what you're suggesting is get the footing off the topic solely and singularly of, I want a job, can you help me, into how can we find common ground to begin developing that and nurturing that relationship that is built upon trust and integrity. Right. Wow. That's right. So the other gentleman that I met actually closer to a year and a half ago, he was part of a business referral networking group that I belong to, and he disappeared after a few times of attending. And about a year later, I receive a phone call from him. Hey, I remember you from our business referral network. Would you like to get together for coffee? I'm looking at building a network. We meet on a once a month basis. We met this morning for about an hour. His background is IT. He's building his own IT business. Again, a thought partner. He'll give me ideas about how I can use technology in what I do. I give him ideas about how he can help to build his business from my perspective and experience. It puts the relationships on the same footing. Exactly. And it's also, Craig, how I know that what I'm not doing is giving away my business because it's equal. It feels very different from when I sit across the table from a client and work with them in my role as a career coach. So a potential takeaway might be here, if, let's say, through our network of of friends and acquaintances, this can be a circle that is as broad as neighbors in the neighborhood, people that we go to church with, people that we attend the same fraternal organizations with, whatever the case might be, uh, extended family Mm -hmm. as well, um, that we need to sort of retool the approach that this shouldn't be singularly about what you can do for me because I need a job into A, starting with finding common ground and then B, having that sense of parity so that maybe at our initial meeting or two you might not have any openings at your company but maybe we can have some discussions about the industry that we share together maybe I can offer you some insights from my experience that can be takeaways that later on you filed in your index card system in your mind that three months later you think, I remember my conversation with so-and-so, and and it seems to me he's an expert in thus and such, 
and I've just run into an affiliate that needs somebody in that arena, I'll pick up the phone and say, hey, Charlie, why don't you give my friend a call? They've got some openings. Exactly. And every time that I go to this type of a meeting with a person I've met, I always take a notebook with me. I am writing down notes. Here's a book that I might want to read. Here's an article that they plan to send me. How are we going to be accountable to one another? Here's your to-do list and here's my to-do list in the time between our meeting. Does it become then ultimately more productive if our focus when we go in is more on relationship building than simply getting a job? I mean, the getting a job part seems to kind of be cutting to the chase, but then if so many people are coming back saying, I'm not having much success with this, clearly that ought to be an indication you need to retool your approach and your thinking. That's right. What you want to do then is to take a look at how you are putting yourself out there. Mm. When we put ourselves... Perception. Yes. Perception Uh. is, you know... Everything. Like real estate. Like exactly. Location, location, location. <laughs> Job hiring is perception, perception, right. perception. And so I think in this case, what people will do is put themselves out in a way where they look needy and mm. desperate. And think about what we do with people who approach us from that point of view. We want to run the other Distance way. ourselves. Exactly. Yes. Because we're not quite sure what it is that we can do to be of help. Or we want to step in and rescue them to where they don't have to or want to do anything. We're doing all the work for them. On the point of integrity and being truthful, is the issue of appearing to be sincere also important? And by that I mean it's very easy for people to go into a social setting in an effort to network because I need a job. Certain realities, you know, funny how the bank wants their check every month in PG&E, too, and the kids have developed this terrible habit. They like to eat. Um, And yet, when we go in and we take the approach that we're needy, or if we're not seemingly genuine about the relationship building, people will pretty quickly see through that, won't they? It doesn't take very long. We can pretty much figure out, at least on a subconscious level, that this is going on Mm -hmm. within 10 to 15 seconds of meeting someone. So again, back to that issue of perception. We need to be genuine about the approach and and what it means in terms of being serious about relationship building. And I guess also, too, the whole idea of hit and run, as you mentioned earlier, to get in, get the job and disappear, you know, there might be some long-term value in not only building but maintaining that relationship down through the years that could serve me when I need another job later on or when I'm looking for a consultant or something of that sort. And as you were saying, Craig, it's really what goes beyond the job search. These are long-term relationships that you're looking to build with people. As, for instance, technology, what's happening there with the changes? We're looking now at children who are in elementary school By the time they're finished with college, everything that they've learned in elementary school will probably be obsolete. So it's keeping with the times. And the way that you do that is through talking to other people in the field. Getting the ball rolling. I want to talk about that when we come back after a timeout. We can talk about some of the the icebreakers, so to speak, and then roll into where you take some copious notes. And that is a list of Dr. David Petrove's do's and don'ts 
of networking. So grab the pen and paper, pull off to the side of the road if you need to. We're going to also share a telephone number and a website address with you momentarily where you can find out more. Dr. David Petrove is with us tonight in studio. He is an expert in the arena of networking, career building, job finding, how to rekindle and restart your career, how to get a fresh whole new approach to either what you want to do for the second half of your life or perhaps just getting back into the working world again and getting the job that you deserve and that will be most satisfying and most rewarding to you, not just economically, but personally and professionally as well. A look at icebreakers and Dr. David's list of do's and don'ts as our conversation continues here on this edition of Lifeline. Here's Dr. Charles Stanley, keeping believers in touch with God. If God the Father loved us so much that He would save us from our sins by giving His Son Jesus at Calvary, listen, anything else I've ever asked Him for in my life, anything that you will ever ask Him for as long as you live, you will never ask God for anything that will demand even anywhere close to as much love as He has already expressed to you in the cross of Calvary. When He has expressed that kind of love, sacrificial love, the gift of His own Son, if He has already given me His very best, anything else that I ask for, anything else that comes my way is less than that. How could I ever doubt the love of God? How could I question the kind of love that comes from a father who is willing to give his only begotten son to die at Calvary? If you question God's love, look at the cross. For help and hope from God's Word, visit In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley at InTouch.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I'll mention, by the way, as we welcome you back to the conversation, Dr. David Petrove is available for private consultations, and uh, you meet with clients all the time. Yes. And if folks want to get more information, a couple of easy ways to contact Dr. David. You can do it through the uh, the time-tested method of the telephone at area code 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. Or on the web at... At David Petrove, P-E-T-R-O-V-A-Y, coaching.com. That's David Petrove, coaching.com. Just before the break, we were talking about in the social settings, when we're networking, to get the conversation started that doesn't begin with, hi, I need a job, here's my card and my resume, but rather can be that common ground we were talking about earlier. Maybe you can give us a couple of suggested icebreakers. Oftentimes, we're, we're in a setting where we're nervous, um, we, we want to get a conversation started, but we just quite know how to find or, or begin the conversation to establish that common ground. Well, my experience with icebreakers, they're very important in terms of how you make your way into a conversation with someone. There are a few of them that I've heard and I've gotten feedback from others about Ooh, you might want to stay away from. Like, you know, do you come here often? (laughs) What's your sign? Yeah, what's your sign? So 1970s. (laughs) One of the ones that is so common and so overused and people just want to run the other way when they hear it, Craig, is, so what do you do for a living? Okay. Now, um, imagine when you've been approached by that and you've been out of work Mm. for quite a while. That can be a little embarrassing, a little awkward. It's how we identify ourselves in this culture. We identify ourselves by what we do Mm -hmm. as opposed to who we are. 
So I would suggest that you you refrain from starting with that one. And that also might be a case in some scenarios. Let's say that we're in a uniquely social setting. I might be here because I don't want to be thinking about work. And I'd rather talk about anything else, but you won't open up the conversation with what do you do for a living, and well, that's an immediate turnoff. Well, in the field that I'm in, sometimes if I talk about the fact that I do what I do, ooh, let me see if I can get some free advice. Sure, here. absolutely. And yeah, every attorney knows that story. Right, too. and it's <laughs> it's turned into was I just at a social event or was I just working mm-hmm. for yeah. the last hour? Doctors feel that way. Right. Too. The other point that you might want to stay away from is asking someone what they did for, and it would might be a religiously based holiday, mm-hmm. like Christmas. If you don't know the other person's religious beliefs, and they're very different from what you've just asked them, that can cause an awkward situation or moment. The other one is, for gosh sakes, stay away from the how's it going or what's up. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's... Terribly pedestrian sounding and and, uh, not very indicative of somebody who's a very uh, social butterfly or very intelligent. Right. This is an immediate indication this is not going to be a spellbinding, engaging conversation, but rather one from which I want to escape. Oh, I think I have a pot roast in the oven. Excuse me. Yes. And then finally, starting any conversation with a negative comment, because that's going to be the first impression you leave with Mm. someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gee, there's no one here. And the other person thinks to themselves, what am I, chopped liver? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do you mean no one? Oh, someone important. Obviously, I'm not it. So you've immediately started off on the wrong foot. Okay, so then in terms of positive icebreakers, how can we get the conversation started in the right direction? Sure. So some examples. What do you enjoy doing in your free time? Pretty much everyone can answer that. Where are you from originally? And what did you like about living there? Where did you hear about this event, and what motivated you to attend? Have you been to this event before? So what's the best thing you have ever learned while attending one of these events? Mm -hmm. Where did you go on your last vacation, and what was the high point of your stay there? Or what's the most impressive or memorable place you've ever visited? These are all what we refer to as open-ended questions. When you ask someone, for instance, what you do for a living, they can close that conversation in one word. Mm -hmm. They simply state their conversation, I'm sorry, their occupation, conversation closed. With these, when they talk about their free time, you will begin to learn what they might have in common with you. So it's more engaging. Mm -hmm. It's certainly very disarming. And because we don't always know the motivation as to why the person is there, who might be there just because they want to socialize mm-hmm. and get away from work, maybe they're there with similar goals to yours, you never can tell. But if you start the conversation with a disarming sort of question that's also an engaging one, that you allow me to talk about things that that obviously I'm passionate about, my last vacation what I do as a hobby, what I think about the event, or, or my observations about having attended previous events. All of these things also tend to allow the conversation to naturally flow and continue, too. Well, the other thing about that is when you talk about where you visited, my next question is always, so do you know of any good restaurants? Mm-hmm. And then what can happen is they may not have all the information right at that moment. It now creates an opening for you to continue that conversation outside of that event. Sure. 
Or, oh, I'd like to learn more about that. What's their favorite dish? What do they prepare well? When you go to Hawaii, uh, what's your favorite place to visit that I may not have been to yet? And why did you like it? What you leave people with is a warm feeling about their interaction with Mm. you. They'll remember the feeling oftentimes more than the exact words of the conversation. We're associating that relational experience Mm -hmm. with positive feelings, positive experiences, and we're essentially using, we're kind of capitalizing on that, aren't we? We are. So if you ask me, where did you go on your last vacation? Oh, we went snorkeling on Kauai and how blue the ocean was. Suddenly, all of these positive memories come flooding back, and I am subconsciously associating them with our conversation when I go back and recall you, or when I run into you the next time, or we ultimately exchange greeting cards, or calling cards, rather. And so what you want to leave with is the question, is this a person that I would want to spend more time getting to know? Mm -hmm. And as I get to know them, I become more comfortable with who they are, and then I begin to learn what they have to offer. You're suddenly making this sound far less complicated, far less intimidating than what it appears to be for most people on the surface. And I think one of the things that we do in order to formalize this whole process is we write books about it, and you attend seminars, and what we've done is to put it into the category of something that you must be trained in how to do it, Mm. as opposed to you already have the basic skills. Well, and as you suggested from the get-go, it's kind of doing what comes naturally. If the cavemen were doing this 6,000 years ago, then certainly many of these skills we already have. It's just learning how to harness the power of those skills in the proper and appropriate fashion. Right. Right. There's a list of some do's and don'ts, and mm-hmm. I want to get to that after a brief timeout. If you've just joined our conversation, Dr. David Petrovay with us tonight, we are talking about how to use the power of networking to get back into the working world again, to change up your career, to head your life and your career into a whole new direction, to help you get out of that rut. By the way, David is available for private consultations. You can reach him at area code 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. Or on the web at davidpetrovacoaching.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are talking about the power of networking and the manner in which you can harness this to get yourself back into the working world or to change up your career and begin doing what you really love to do. Of course, at the end of the day, it comes down to learning how to hone some basic skills, some interpersonal relationship skills that we all hold and have, but sometimes don't know how to properly apply. Dr. David Petrovay is with us. We've talked a bit about some of the icebreakers of getting the conversation going, Dr. David, and finding common ground as we're meeting with folks in whatever the social setting might be. Let's also talk in the arena of networking as it relates to a list of do's and don'ts. Sure. So what I've done is I've put together a list of 10 do's and 10 don'ts from my experience and what I have learned from reading and learning more about networking. And what I'd like to do is offer to your listening audience an opportunity to contact me through my website 
and I will forward them the 10 do's and 10 don'ts. Obviously, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's way more than we could ever cover in one hour. So we just hit on three of each, just as a sampling. So the easy thing to do, and again, make note of his website, davidpetrovaycoaching.com. That's davidpetrovaycoaching.com. And there on the website, they'll find a place where they can then uh, get more information to get copies of the whole list of the 10 do's and 10 don'ts. So all they're going to do is go to the website. It will give my email address and they can send me an email saying I listened to you or a friend told me about the show Um, could you please forward me a copy of those 10 do's and 10 don'ts and there's no cost or obligation no cost it is totally free just a great resource to have again at the website davidpetrovacoaching.com work through a couple of the top ones if you would David in the couple of moments that remain so in terms of the don'ts don't approach networking as a what can you do for me event work on developing relationships over time don't make a contest out of handing out as many business cards as possible be selective don't monopolize one person's time about 10 to 15 minutes is maximum for the first time that you're talking to someone at a networking event. Think of the celebrity who works the room. Work the room. Uh, work the entirety of the room. You might, and it's 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 also about the fact that you might be concert, uh, concentrating a lot of effort and energy on one individual, not realizing the person across the room with whom you're not speaking might hold the key to your future's career success. That's a great way to look at it, Craig. So schedule a time together following the event when you can learn more about one another. This shouldn't be a one-time deal. The other thing to recognize is that not everyone that you speak to will become a part of your network. Sure. You can't, we just don't have the time humanly. Is it smart, too, when you're talking with people to, as you're working through the icebreaker, and eventually, oftentimes, these conversations wind down or around to business-related matters, to approach people on the basis of asking for some advice? Well, that would be a great way to do it. So in your experience, what have you found works for you? And people love to give advice. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that we are known for. We're advice givers. So can you give me some ideas? What suggestions might you have? These, again, are great, not so much icebreakers, but ways to engage people. To get their input. And it's in a non-intimidating, non-threatening fashion. That's right. As long as it doesn't come across as, I'm here to pick your brain. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it can work both ways. So they give you some ideas, and in return, you might share some ideas with them. Again, if it's related to the vacations, hobbies, any information that you might have. So those are three don'ts. Do's, do be clear on who you are and what you have to offer. When you go to any kind of a networking event, have a plan. Put something in place so that you have an intention for being there. That's a big do. The other one is, again, we talked about the icebreakers. Have those available to you. And then finally is do follow up as soon as possible. Mm. 
within 24 hours, there should be either a phone call or an email generated talking about the experience of meeting this person. And it can be nothing more than great to meet you at the XYZ Mexer. Look forward to seeing you again sometime. Right. And if you have some information, I'm following up with some information that I promised I Mm -hmm. would give you. That's integrity. Yeah. We talked about that beautiful restaurant on Maui. Next time you go, here is the mailing address. Here's the website for them. Again, we have sort of underscored, we've validated that contact, we've also extended that contact, we've taken a step toward taking that contact a bit deeper, and now the next time you run into that individual, you've got a little bit more history together with them, don't you? You do. And that's what you're doing, is you're building history with people. That's what networking is all about. A lot of folks, when they have been dealing with unemployment for quite some season, have that sense of being... Uh, stressed, they are isolated, they're out of the day-to-day network that they used to be in when they would be going to work and engaging with folks, and so there is some effort that needs to be taken to get plugged into networking, be it at a professional level, at a formal business mixer, or with a group of friends, or acquaintances, or neighbors, All of these are multiple tiers and layers of our overall or grander networking that is available to us. And I guess at the end of the day, it's really understanding what it means to put the power of the relationship to work for us. And that's taking us right back to the very beginning of our conversation, which is about building relationships. Now, learning to skillfully build those relationships that will ultimately lead to the dream career. That ultimately is what Dr. David Petrovay does for all of his clients. And if you'd like to get more information about how to restart your career after you've been downsized or how to ultimately reinvent yourself, create a satisfying career, and learn how to network the right way, give him a call. You can reach him at area code 650-400-7461. And to receive that complimentary copy of the 10 Do's and 10 Don'ts of Network, just log on to davidpetrovaycoaching.com. That's davidpetrovaycoaching.com. And by returning him email, he'll send you that list without cost or obligation. Dr. Petrovay, thanks again for dropping by. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.